Well, as always, I apologise for interrupting what for many is your favourite part of church, and, and really fellowship is a big part of that. If you're curious, um, I believe that many of the same elements um, that uh, we experience here will be operating at the Hurstbridge campus as well. So if you, if you like that meet and greet moment and you, you enjoy that, um, you, can, you can have that at Hurstbridge. It'll be difficult probably to attend the Eltham campus and go to Hurstbridge for fellowship and get back. But um, we're looking forward very much to, to all that the Lord is doing. So a lot is changing, hey? We celebrated last year our 30th anniversary. There's lots that is changing. And I guess it begs the question, but what, what is the same? What will remain? And of course, we know the answer to, to that is, well, God. God never changes. In fact, that was a little bit of our slogan last year, you know, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, God doesn't, doesn't change. Uh, a couple of years ago, our... Um, pastoral team went on a prayer day, which we usually have one every quarter. And one of our favorite spots, although we haven't been there for some years, but it's um, Badger's Weir up in Healesville. Do you know it? Beautiful little, little spot. I used to, used to go there as, um, as a kid. It was a bit of a favorite spot for a Sunday picnic for our family. A beautiful little area, Badger's Weir. And there's a um, as the name suggests, some um, sort of a car park picnic area, but after a bit of a, a walk, there is a, a weir, and it's actually quite, quite lovely to walk to. There's a couple of different paths and so forth, and we decided on this particular day that as a pastoral team, we would, we would break up, that we would just walk there in, in twos, and we'd have some discussion and some prayer as we did that, and, and so different people went off in, in different directions, and, and, uh, and I think there's probably between three, because the paths then split. Now, there's probably four different ways in which you could go to get to the same destination. And so we staggered off at different intervals and just a couple of people walking and praying and chatting together, a couple of other people walking and praying together and all at staggered paces. But eventually, of course, we all arrived at the weir together. And there we we gathered around and we, we shared a little bit of what we sensed that the Lord was saying to us at that time. It was lovely to just hear this, this, this confirmation of a number of themes which were very similar. And the beauty of it was, it was one of those occasions where we hadn't all been in the one prayer meeting, all sharing the same thing, all kind of um, building off one another and, and, and so forth. No, we'd actually, actually probably been in at least four or five different groups all praying separately, but then when we gathered together, it was incredible how much we were all on the same page. So as we think about this particular chapter here at EBC, a, a, a brand new chapter, a, a new campus, we've never done this before, a little bit like Joshua. You know, we haven't been this way before. We, we actually don't know this terrain. There is much that is changing, but our God is the same. And we have a shared vision. Although we're three, we're three different services at two campuses, we are nonetheless one church with one purpose, one vision. And that remains the same. I don't know if you know what it is, but it's based on the verse John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is to my Father's glory, 
that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples, those who abide in me. So our vision statement crafted on that kind of reverses it just a little bit, but essentially says the very same thing as passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. There's the abiding life. That's what brings the passion. We desire to live fruitful lives so that our God is seen for who he really is. He gets all the glory. And I thought this morning as as we open up this whole new chapter for the Vine Baptist Church, as we talk about an Althan campus and a Hurstbridge campus, that it would be very fitting for us to just revisit once more that vision. Because if you like, we are, we are perhaps sensing a little bit of a, a slight divide at the moment, but not in purpose. We will be a Hurstbridge campus. We will be an Althan campus. But we share the same purpose. And if we have the same destination in mind, we will arrive there together. We will be on the same page. And there will be much rejoicing because we have shared that same common vision and passion. The one, one church with, with one particular purpose. So just thinking about it in, in three sections again and and, you know, it's not like I've never talked about abide before. But the abiding life is, is so essential to fruitful discipleship. We talk about being passionate disciples of Jesus, Jesus Christ. And one of the things, um, it really is the funniest thing. You have got to say the Lord has a sense of humor. Um, last, last year, we... Well, it was probably late 2016. We felt a little bit of a nudge um, about, about moving house. And I think I've shared some of this before with you. Uh, but essentially, we asked the question, is this the house that we think we will, you know, we would grow old in? And, and we thought, no, not really. No, probably not, not so much. So, so we then embarked on a process of bringing before the Lord, how is it that we downsize? Now, there is a little bit of a fail here. Um, we, we were trying to downsize, and technically speaking, the house is, the house is smaller. But um, I, I must confess, being the, you know, I was, when, when buying a house, I, I actually surprised myself. I went into a very logical mode. When, when we had actually put an offer on the house, I couldn't have told you colours and, and what was, I, I really didn't notice much. I was just thinking, I was thinking, Figures, Lord, what are you saying to us? I was trying to, I really wasn't looking around us. I couldn't have told you anything about the gardens. I couldn't have told you much about the house at all, to be quite honest. We had seven criteria. We we're just ticking off the criteria on our list. We we're just going through the little list there. I was just so in Mr. Logic mode. And, and so there were many things that I didn't at first notice, like the fact that we had a vineyard. When we actually, when we actually moved in, now, now Bron had noticed this. She brought it to my attention, and and I looked on on Google, um, and and I, it, sure enough, there was a vineyard. Wow! So so I knew that it existed, but I really hadn't paid much attention to it. Now, having preached on the vine and, and abiding in Christ for a good couple of years, I guess this was the the Lord saying, you know, all right, enough en enough just talking about it, Stuart. Let's do this, and. Uh, and, and so I have gone out to, to visit this. Now, it's not a, not a huge, don't, don't picture paddocks and paddocks of vine and, and don't, don't picture free Shiraz for everybody, no. <laughs> a, a, picture, a picture, an almost dead vineyard with 100 trees on it. But um, I have noticed something as we, 
as we decide, well, what do we do with this? Do we, you know, chop it down and level it, or do we just keep it there? With oh, we've got so many other big decisions to make. You know what? Let's just keep it alive. Let's see if we can keep it alive for a year. So we decided to do that. We weeded it and mowed it, and, and it looks it looks kind of nice. I don't think it's produced a grape, but. I have gone out there a number of times. Now, here is, maybe this doesn't surprise you, but I found it absolutely astounding. I would go out there, and I've done this several times. I go out there, I walk up very, very close to the vine, lean down and study it. And you know what? Every single day, every morning, I don't know how it happens, but the branches are connected to the vine. It is so low maintenance. I do not have to go out there every morning and manually connect the branches to the vine. This is remarkable. Do you share my sense of surprise? This is if, if you don't believe me, you, you are free. Book in a time. I will take you on a tour of the vineyard. I will show you this fact. The branches are connected to the vine. They always are. They're there every morning. It is It's remarkable. It's, I don't know what weird... Weird kind of magic is going on there, but those branches, are, they are connected to the vine every day. And so it is for all of us who are in Christ. Sometimes I think in our thinking, we, every morning, all right, I've got I've to get connected to God. You already are. I don't go out there every day and remember our Father, our Heavenly Father is the gardener. He's meticulous. He spends more time in his garden than I do mine. <laughs> but he doesn't have to go out there every day and my father is the gardener. And man, is he tired with all of those branches that just keep disconnecting themselves. He spends so much time every morning reconnecting the branches to the vine. Woo, he's so over it. Could you people just get your act together? Oh, my father is the gardener. I am the vine. You are the branches, Jesus says. If we are in Christ, then we are that new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's a done deal. You don't have to wake up every morning and connect yourself to the vine. You are connected. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. You have to realize it. It's a little bit like this. Could I, could I say it another way? Let's say you had come over to our house and there's a terrible storm outside. It's raining outside. And I think to myself, you don't want to go yet. Partly because we haven't had dessert, but you don't want to go yet because it's raining outside. It's terrible. You don't want to walk out there in the rain. Now, what language would I use? If you were inside the house, wouldn't I say, why don't you remain here for the moment? Just, to, just abide a little. Let's have dessert together. To use the language, why don't you come inside, would assume or infer, would it not, that you had you'd stepped outside. You had prematurely saying, I've seen what's for dessert. I know it's raining out there, but I'm out of here, you know. <laughs> and you're gone outside, and you're standing there in the rain, and then I have to beckon you, no, please, come back in. You know, come inside, come, come inside from outside. No, the, the language remain or abide, it implies you are in Christ. Christ is in you. Now, every morning, it does you well to realize that fact, to awaken afresh to that reality, to rejoice in it, to praise God and to say, oh, I am so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you are in me. I am in you. I am connected to you, fine and branch. Let's do life together. So 
So the imperative to abide or to remain, to stay inside, not go outside, but to remain, and the language changes a little bit later in this passage, to remain in my love through obedience, and, but to remain in Christ. What is Jesus talking about there? It's interesting, in, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter, chapter 12, um, an interesting conversation comes up with the Sadducees. Uh, they're asking Jesus a question. They sort of want to trick him on a, a little bit of a point. They don't believe in the resurrection. So they come up with this incredible hypothetical about a, about a woman who marries a particular man, but then he dies and they don't have children. And, and so, according to, to law, then she remarries you know, one of the brothers. And this goes on for about seven husbands. They all die. I don't know what was in the water. But in heaven, all right, whose wife? Will she be? That's the question. And, and so Jesus says this very, very, it's a very, very interesting little rebuke in Mark 12, 24. You are mistaken because of two reasons. You do not know the power of God and you do not know his word. I think that's kind of like a, it's a, it's a kind of a twofold problem. And it's not just for the Sadducees, it's an enduring one for all time. The problem of not understanding the power of God, losing confidence in his gospel power, losing confidence that he can, losing confidence that he will, just losing confidence in the power of God. And you do not know his word, forsaking his word, figuring that surely such an enlightened people such as us would find a better way around this or that. And believing that somehow, whilst the grass withers and the flowers fade, so does the word of God. <laughs> but the Bible is very, very clear on that. Oh, no. <laughs> Long after you and I have finished our walk on this earth, the word of God will endure forever. Always has. Always will. It will outlast you and I. So it's a twofold mistake, but here's a twofold remedy. Uh, Peter, straight after, um, straight after his remarkable confession, who do you say I am? Jesus asks. Now, Peter comes up with the right answer. Well, you're the Messiah. You are the Christ. What is astounding is in, in Mark's little record of these events is straight after that comes Peter's confusion. Jesus then talks about the mission that the Father has sent him on. He talks about the fact that, that he will have to, he will die, but he will raise, raise to life. And then Peter stops him there and he says, he takes Jesus aside to rebuke him. And he says, oh, well, I guess we're just in the planning stage. Let me just correct it a little bit, Jesus. I don't think that's going to happen. And Jesus turns that around and it turns into a rebuke of Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Now, they're strong words. I reckon that may have just stopped Peter in his steps. Do you reckon? <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. You do not have the concerns of heaven in mind or the concerns of God. You've got the concerns of man in mind. So, firstly, we have Peter's confession. Then we have Peter's confusion. Now he is for Peter's correction. Jesus goes on to talk about... yeah. Let me explain this. If you want to be one of my disciples, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And then comes the transfiguration. What happens in the transfiguration? Two things. Peter firstly sees the power of God. There is, there is Jesus, Moses, Elijah. But Jesus in particular, he's transfigured. 
He takes on, and, and here is all the language that John would reflect later on when he's writing in Revelation. He takes on the, the appearance of absolute splendor. What is it that Peter is seeing there? What was it that John was seeing here? Here is a vision, a glimpse perhaps of the glory that will be that of the ascended Christ. Jesus is transfigured. The power of God comes upon him. And in that moment, Peter now sees what it was that he previously confessed. But he sees it in a way he would never have imagined. And then the father's voice comes and it says, um, oh, it's kind of a repeat of the father's pleasure with Jesus at his baptism. This is my son in whom I find great pleasure. But then I like this bit as if it was written just for Peter, but it wasn't. It's written for you and I as well. Listen to him. <laughs> what does Peter see as part of his correction? You've got Peter's, Peter's confession, Peter's confusion, now Peter's correction. What do you see? You see here, as part of Peter's correction, he sees the power of God. Listen to him. And here's the word of God once more. Listen to what Jesus has to say. Listen to the words from his mouth. Trust in my power. Trust also in the words of my son. You've got the power and the word again. And so I would probably summarize this last little part by using a phrase that we use very, very often, but it's just a reminder. This is all part of our vision, a phrase you've heard me say many, many times. In fact, I'm not actually sure who, who first coined this phrase. I, I heard it from R.T. Kendall, but I'm not sure if it was his or not. Anyway, by the Spirit, through the Word. One of the ways in which we are going to be an abiding people, one of the ways in which the Hurstbridge campus will remain... An abiding campus, a branch well grafted into that vine. One of the ways in which, in which the church will remain and abide, stay inside with Jesus and not wander outside where it sure ought not go. One of the ways it will do that is by abiding in him. Not getting reconnected every day as if it had somehow fallen off, but by remaining and abiding in Jesus Christ by the Spirit through the Word. When I left Pioneer's I don't know, nine, ten years ago now. John Fletcher, the international director. I, it was the hardest email I ever had to write. I just really had such a high regard for John, such a lovely, lovely man of God. And I wrote him an email. I said, I think it's clear now I, I have to accept this position at what was then, was years ago, Eltham Baptist Church. And John wrote this lovely, lovely warm email saying how much it's going to miss fellowship and... And yet he felt so good about it. And he says, Stuart, by the Spirit, through the Word. By the Spirit, through the Word. It's just stayed with me all this time. Abide. And then the next word, of course, here is, is fruit. Um, as we approached Nat and Beck's wedding, um, we had a little, a little garden at that time. And, and Bron took it upon herself. And, and Heather Wickstead was also, they were growing flowers for the wedding. Um, Bronze intent was to to grow a, a lovely, lovely bouquet, and uh, and and lots of flowers. It was just it was going to be a wedding with flowers everywhere. Anyway, um, um, in in her garden she was growing this, and and there's a little bit of a competitive streak in Bron. Her dad is a great gardener. Well, she was taking photos on a weekly basis and sending these pictures to her dad. <laughs> Look at my garden. Look how the flowers for the wedding are coming along. Likewise, her. Dad was with the program, and he was also growing flowers and sending back pictures that, well, the plants weren't doing half as well as bronze, I've got to tell you. But he was a bit curious. He said, what is that? And bronze said, I don't know. I just put the seeds in and so forth. And on one visit, he, he came over to, 
to just you know have a look, a closer look at the astounding size of these plants, but the odd shape as well. So he, like any good gardener does, leaned down, he had a good look and a bit of smell, and he confirmed Bron's worst fears that she was growing a bouquet of tomatoes for her, <laughs> her new daughter-in-law to be. You can tell a tree by its, by its fruit. Jesus, Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, you know a tree by its fruit. And whilst we talk about the fact that when we abide in Christ, it will bring, it's inevitable, fruit will come. It will bring an abundance of fruit. It's going to happen. You don't have to strive. You don't have to, you don't have to burst a blood vessel. Bring on the fruit. Bring on the fruit. It's okay. Abide in him. Fruit will come. Now, that's the blessed life. And, and there is blessing by being in Christ. No shadow of a doubt. All the glorious fruit of his spirit will be yours. But, but here is the word fruit in its more general sense. Abide in him, fruit will come. It's absolutely inevitable. But one of, the dis- one of the things that Jesus is saying here, it's not just that the fruit is desirous. Yes, we all desire fruit. Yep, and it'll come. It'll come, be assured. But it's not just that it's desirable to have fruit. It's distinctive. It, it designates what kind of a tree it came from. You can look at that and you can say, that's a tomato plant. You can look at this, that's a mulberry tree. This is a, and you can, you can walk around a garden and look at the fruit. And without the fruit, sometimes it's hard to tell. But you can look at the fruit and you can say, I know what tree that is. And this is his, how it is to be with us as well. That as passionate disciples of Jesus Christ, as we abide in him, fruit will come. But the point of that fruit is this is how they will know that you are my disciples, that you will bear much fruit. People will look at the fruit and say, hmm, a little bit like Acts chapter 4. These men had been with Jesus. They, they looked at Peter and John. They looked at the, their lives and they knew where that kind of fruit came from. They had been with Jesus. People will look at the fruit of our lives and they will, hmm, <laughs> it's only one place that I know that you get that kind of fruit. You're a Christian, aren't you? You're a Christian. You follow Jesus. This is the missional component, if you, if you like as well, of, of our church and our vision statement. Yes, we, we're very, very thankful that fruit comes from the abiding life, but it is by our fruit, the fruit of our lives, that people will know that we are different, that we belong to Jesus. And so that is why uh, we often say around here as well, don't we, that Every single one of us is a part of God's mission. In that sense, we're all missionaries, some local, some global. And, and that's why out there in the foyer, very, very deliberately, we, we have a number of photos of our, of our uh, missionaries serving cross-culturally. And then you get to the, the last part. I actually fear because of its placement near the, the, the door to the male toilets there that not, not enough of you linger long enough to notice and for good reason, but, but there is a mirror. And you look at that picture and you say, what other missionaries do we have at EBC? And there is your face reflected to remind you that all of us are called every single day to be on mission with God, to join that local mission that we all get to, get to be a, a part of. And then lastly, of course, we, we have the word 
the word glory. In our vision statement, we say, so God is seen for who he really is. Um, I don't know if that quite does it justice, but we want to see God, God glorified. Uh, a number of years ago, you remember, we um, sent a work party from here to, to Greece. And uh, there they, they did a tremendous, tremendous job. And, and they actually got a welcome back. You know, um, Jonathan and the team uh, said, you know, we get a lot of people, a lot of work parties from overseas coming and doing various things. Your team would be welcome back anytime, they said. But uh, Jade and I actually went ahead of the team to make preparations. And as we plant, um, flew in we're, with a major airline, like a big, big, big name, and it was a triple, triple seven, we're right up the back. I kind of like those two seats that you can get right up the back of the plane. Um, and, uh, and, and there we were, and we're watching the landing on our screens, because you can do that nowadays. Now, it was a windy day. And I remember as we were landing, and this is it's not a Cessna, this is a 777, this is a big plane. I have never in my entire life, in all my travels, I have never known ourselves to be blown around with gusts of wind like this. But the interesting thing was, we're watching it all on the screen, so we can actually see this, this, you know, um, this section of runway, which looked about the size of a knitting needle at first, and we're watching the fact, you know, the camera is just moving around, you know, all over the place, and I thought, well, this will be interesting, you know, <laughs> and uh, I thought, is today the day, Lord? And... Um, it's okay if it is. You know, I'm here with my daughter and, you know, sorry, George, you weren't in the picture then, so we didn't have, you know, factor that in. But, um, but, but as, we were, as we were coming in for our landing, seriously, I thought, this is it. We were just we were blown away from one side of the runway to the other side of the runway. I thought, there is no way this pilot is going to be able to put this down. And then just as, as he, he finally sort of got the plane sort of leveled up, there was a huge gust of downward wind, and it just felt like we just were dropping from the air. And so, so there was, it wasn't just me, there was this huge gasp right through the entire plane for all those who weren't watching the Mr. Bean channel. And, uh, and this huge gasp through the plane because I think everybody felt the same thing. And then um, up in the cockpit, they must have released the override and all the thrusters were on full and off he took again. Now he went around and, and there was this surreal moment when he got above all of the wind and above the clouds and it was just this golden era. And I don't, for a moment there I pinched, did we die? Did we die? Am I in heaven? Did he, <laughs> Jane, you there? Um, and uh, there was this incredible surreal moment. And then the pilot came on. I remember listening to it from a leadership point of view, thinking, how are you going to handle this? Now, he was quiet while he got the plane back up and out of trouble. And, um, and then he came on in the most calming and reassuring voice. And it was great leadership from that point of view. He just reassured us. You know, as you know, folks, you know, we've, we decided to go around again and we'll have you on the ground shortly and he, you know, and presumably one piece. And, and, he, and he just took us around. He's going to try a different runway. And, and he did just that. He landed it. And I tell you, that second time around, it was just as gusty. He just put, he just put the back wheels on. He lowered the front. It was one of the smoothest, still just as windy, one of the smoothest landings I've ever seen. We're just in good hands. That day he earned his pay, I tell you. <laughs> There was another flight when I got off the plane in Thessaloniki. For some reason, I got an email one day saying that um, um, for some reason or another, I think a malfunction in the computer system, I got bumped up to silver. Silver means that you can 
Well, you can look at all of the privileges that the gold people have. Um, and so, but on this particular occasion, I did have a coupon which allowed me to, to upgrade. And uh, so, brother, why not? It's about a 45-minute flight, but, you know, that's as far as a GN fly. So, so let's, let's upgrade. So we, we did. So we up, upgraded, and we sat in the very, very front seats. Um, uh, interesting, they were able to make an espresso. More detail. Come and ask me later. I'll tell you about it. But the important thing was I was first off the plane. It's never happened before. We landed just on the tarmac, not at the terminal. And so I had one of those rare moments like you, you just see in you know, news footage of you know, Air Force One and the president you know, coming out of the plane and standing at the top of the stairs. You know, and he stops and he waves. I, this was my moment. I was first out of my seat. I was first to the door and I was top of the stairs. And I could have had my moment. Hello, thank you, thank you. It's good to be in Greece. But the only person watching was the bus guy, and he actually looked distracted as well. So I lost my moment. But how, how ridiculous would it be for me to stand on those steps as if I was the pilot and I had just achieved this amazing feat? I had just landed the plane in ridiculously difficult circumstances, and I, I stood at the stairs taking all of the credits, you know. Well, thank you. Yes, it is windy out there, and I guess a number of you must have questions. How did I get this big bird down onto the ground today? Well, I would want to take all of the credit, but yes, I was up there in seat 1A, and I saw it. It would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? How much more when we take God's glory? We're just passengers. We're just passengers. We're on board and we're important to God, but really, everything, ministry, in its broadest and narrowest sense, it's all about God. He's the pilot. He's the one who earns his pay. He's the one we're in safe hands. We're in good hands. We're with him. He's the one that does it from start to finish. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. All glory goes to him. How silly are those moments where, oh, because we've just had a bit of a special treat and we got bumped up a little bit. How silly are those moments where we sort of, you know, pause on the steps as if, well, thank you, everybody. It's ridiculous. One of the last things we... Is very, very important to us. It's a part of our vision statement, and we cannot say it enough. Is solely Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. We don't know what he is going to do at the Hurstbridge campus. We don't know what, what future plans he has for us here at the Eltham campus. Will there be another campus? We don't know. We don't know any of these things. We're open. We're willing. Spirit of God, lead us. But we're really... We're going along for the ride. That's about as good as it gets. It would be so wrong, so ridiculous for us to, to ever claim to, to take the glory, to want to make a name for ourselves. Yes, we've changed our name, but for practical purposes as much as anything. It's not about our name. We will not one day stand in, in, in God's glory together, reunited for that wonderful banquet and hearing those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant, in that moment, it will not be about the Vine Baptist Church. We won't have little name tags. It won't say, you know, uh, uh, what, wherever we serve, pastor or whatever it might be. No. Children of God at home with our Father. And that will be all we need. 
All the glory goes to him. For this next chapter, I'd love to skip a few pages along and, what's happening? What's happening? All I know is it's got his glory written right across it. These are gilded pages, gilded with gold, and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be glorious, but for the splendor of his glory, not ours. And so our commitment is, oh, we want that. (laughs) We want that so bad. We want as much glory for God as we could possibly get. He would be seen for who he really is. That'll come because people will identify us by the fruit of our lives as those who belong to Jesus. So this morning, what could we recommit ourselves to? Would you be committed once more, whichever campus you're at, to that kind of a vision? Would you show your passion for Jesus, your passion to be his disciple and his disciple alone, would you show that by saying over 2018, over this next year, that vision, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples, that verse, that picture, that vision, would you say, that's enough for me, I could die for that? Would you recommit yourself to that once more and say whatever else it is that you were looking forward to over 2018, whatever else it is that you were passionate about, whatever else it is that you get excited about, that that will take second place to this one fundamental vision which we all share, and that is to be passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. Yes, desiring to live fruitful lives so that God is seen for who he really is. Is that enough for you this year? And then my second question is, can you trust him to do it? Can you trust him to do it for the Elthkin campus? Can you trust him to do it for the Hurstbridge campus? Yes, there are many, many questions we have, don't we? All of us. But doesn't it fundamentally come back to, will you trust him? Here's our shared vision. Can he do it? Now unto him who is able. Can you trust him for that? And perhaps as we come around the Lord's table now, and as we hold, as we so often do, those two emblems, those two symbols, one of Christ's body which was broken for you and the other of his blood which was shed for you, as you hold those two emblems, my prayer is that all of us will once again be reminded By gospel food of his gospel power, he can do it. He can do this. He can do it for you. He can do it for the person next to you. He can do it for those within our church family that you're concerned about. You may even be just a a little bit even worried for such and such that you know who's not doing so well. He is able. He is able. And so I'm going to invite the band to come up in a moment as I pray and, and the elders to, to take the, um, the bread and the wine and to find different stations around the church. And this is some family time before, as it were, the altar of the Lord where we are able to commit ourselves once more to our confidence in his ability to keep us and to sustain us 
and ultimately to present us before the splendor of his glory. Let's, let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, I, I thank you so much for this new chapter that you are opening for us as a church. It has implications for all of us as a church family, Lord, but of course it has implications for us personally as well. And this morning we want to recommit ourselves to that stated vision that yes, we choose to follow you. Yes, we choose to be a passionate disciple of our one and only Jesus Christ, Savior, Lord. We love you. You are all, you are everything to us. Renew the passion, renew the fervor, renew our commitment to you once more, Lord Jesus, at this critical juncture. Let it be for us, let it be for me, let it be for, let it be for all of us. And as we take the bread, Father, we are reminded of your body broken for us. You were crucified and we were crucified with you. It's no longer we that lives, but you who live within us. Praise Jesus. As we take the cup, we're reminded of your blood that was shed for us. Without the shedding of blood, There can be no atonement, remission, forgiveness for sin. But if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just. You forgive us our sin. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have peace with you. Thank you, Jesus.